Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Pursue God podcast. I'm Pastor Brian, joined in the studio by Pastor John Bellis. John, today we're in week number two of our series on spiritual warfare. Warfare, And last week we did just this big intro. We talked about some principles for spiritual warfare. I think the key takeaway from last week, John, was that we all experience spiritual warfare more than we realize. Like most people would probably think, no, this is just like the demon behind every bush kind of stuff. But we introduced last time this, the trifecta of spiritual warfare, the world, the flesh, and the devil. And today we're talking about spiritual warfare with the world. But before we even get into definitions, what, where, where does this trifecta come from in Scripture? Yeah, we read in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, and I'm going to read it out of the ESV. Paul writes, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, so there's world that we're going to talk about today, following the prince of the power of the air, that's the devil, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, so there's the flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. So we see all three of those that you mentioned, Brian, the world, the flesh and the devil in Ephesians 2. And I know last week as we were thinking through it, you know, I, I kind of think of the world as the pull from outside away from the things of God. Mm-hmm. The flesh is the pull from inside. Mm. And then the devil is orchestrating both of those, yeah. you know, as my enemy, right? Yeah. And the point is, again, it's not just the weird, creepy, occult stuff. It's not, it's not just Satanists. Um, it's not just atheists who maybe are involved in spiritual warfare. Every Christian, I would say, maybe this is an overstatement, but just about every, well, I think you're going to learn today, every Christian every day engages in spiritual warfare at the very least with the world because we live in the world and the world is that outside influence that is working against God's purposes. In fact, why don't we start with a definition? When we talk about the world in this context, we're talking about an organized system that is in opposition and rebellion against God. And that really is what, you know, the Bible says that we as Christians are supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And we're going to get into some real specific, we're going to get into six arenas here in a little bit in this lesson. But but why don't we just talk a little bit about that definition, John? And and is this a? I guess the question is: Is this a new thing? Is the is the world just now in 2022? When you look at what's going on in the world, you're thinking, man, this is crazy. How how much of a pull away from God's word we seem to be moving in? But yet, this isn't a new thing, is it? It's really been happening ever since the fall. You know, I was just just thinking earlier today, even that. You know, in Genesis 6, 5, I believe it is, before the flood, it says that the inclination of man's heart, every thought was towards evil. Every thought. Hmm. Like, as bad as things are right now, I don't know if we would say that. So, uh, And then even after the flood, you know, you see that kind of this totality of human endeavor in the story of the Tower of Babel is, is against God, like this pooling of wisdom and energy and resources in a a course, a direction is away from the things of God. So in that sense, I don't think we're dealing with anything new, but it it sure seems new to us Mm -hmm. when you're in the middle of it. Yeah, and it's in a weird kind of way, it's almost encouraging to remember the stories from the Old Testament that this 
that the world is, has always been pulling God's people away from God's word, or not even just God's people, but the world is certainly pulling everyone else away from God's word. God's word. That's the spiritual warfare that we're talking about. And to realize that, that the gates of hell, Jesus said, the gates of hell won't prevail against it. You know, we talked last week about strongholds and footholds, and, and a, a, the gates of hell, are, it's talking about a stronghold there, isn't it? That, that, the, that Satan has tried to set up a stronghold, a defensive position, and yet God's word tells us something encouraging when it comes to spiritual warfare. Yeah, I love the fact that that, that verse reminds me that the church is on the offensive. The church is supposed to be about building footholds from which we can then gain more ground. And, and Christ says that the gates of hell won't be able to stand against that. So we know that the church in the end is going to be victorious. We know that the church is going to accomplish the purposes that God has for the church. And I think, too, of, of Romans 12, too, where Paul warns us not to be conformed to the patterns of this world. So, again, there's nothing new. This world has a pattern to it, and that pattern is to be drawn away from God. But instead, we're supposed to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Yeah, but in the meantime, here's some scriptures that talk about the world and how Satan is related. And again, we're going to talk more about Satan and demons in week four of this series. But 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan, who is the god of this world, lowercase g, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. So that's interesting that, that Satan has already blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Keep that in mind as we give some real examples of this here in just a minute. It says they're unable to see the glorious light of the good news, and they don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who's the exact likeness of God. So 2 Corinthians 4 says Satan is the god of this world. And then in another place, 1 John 5, 19, it says, we know that we are children of God and that the world around us is under the control of the evil one. So John, maybe you can explain this. How is it that Satan is the God of this world? I thought God is the God of this world, but yet this, this ver these verses say that, that the world is under the control of Satan. Well, Satan does have some authority. He has some power here. Uh, we see that in the Bible, and we see that in these passages, in fact. When we are stuck in sin, when we don't have a relationship with Jesus, we are under the guidance of the devil. And I think most people listening to that today, if you were a non-Christian and you were listening to this podcast, you would say, wait a minute, just because I don't follow Jesus mm. doesn't mean I follow the devil. But there is no neutral, mm. right? I mean, the, the, the world has a course. We talked about the course of this world in Ephesians 2. Paul talks about the patterns of this world. So there is no neutral. There is, a, there is a current to the world, and that current is to pull you away from God. There is no neutral. Yeah, and remember, Jesus, John 10, 10, Jesus said, I've come that, that people might have life and have it to the full. But the enemy, Satan, has come to kill and steal and destroy. And so, so I'm glad you brought up the maybe the non-believer or the person who's listened to this podcast and they're still dipping their toe in the water, not sure what they believe about Christianity. Look, pay attention to this whole series, because I think maybe this will open your eyes to the way the enemy works. Even if you don't believe in, you know, if you don't believe in God, you probably don't believe in the devil. And that's exactly how the devil wants it. The devil doesn't want you believing in any of it. The devil doesn't need you to believe in him for the devil to have authority over you and wreak havoc in your life and bring you know, death and destruction in your life, like Jesus said. And so 
I think it's good for everybody, Christian and non-Christian, to really pay attention to some of the things we're going to be pulling the curtain back on today when it comes to the world. And, and let's talk about that now, John, is how exactly does the world... Remember, we learned last week that that the way spiritual warfare works is the principle of footholds and strongholds, that that the enemy gets a foothold in your life, and then over time, he want, from that foothold, he gets his foot in the door. From his foot in the door, he's, he wants to establish a stronghold where now it's really hard to defeat the enemy when he has a, when he has his gates up in your life. And so here's how the world establishes a foothold in your lives. Here's how the spiritual battle works with the world. It works by putting ideas in your head that go against God's word. It's just that simple. It's all we talked last week about the spiritual warfare isn't this thing that happens in the multiverse. Spiritual warfare happens in your mind. It happens with your thoughts and the world, the world, this is exactly how it works in the world. And so uh, Colossians chapter two, verse eight talks about this and how this strategy works. Paul says, don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high sounding nonsense that come from human thinking. So empty philosophies, high sounding nonsense, human thinking, and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. And so the warning is, Pay attention, keep your eyes open to the way that the world is going to try to confuse you and is going to try to get you to believe something that goes against what God's Word already has to say. Yeah, and I think the verse you referenced earlier, 2 Corinthians 4, 4, gives us some insight into why we are so quick to buy into empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense. I mean, there, there are some things our culture is trying to promote right now that, I mean, honestly, if you talk to someone who was alive even just 50 years ago, they would look at you like you were from another planet. But we're, we're buying into it. We're, we're buying into it. This idea that there are more than two genders, for example. We're, bu- right. we're buying into things that are just, they're nonsense. They're nonsense. They're high-sounding nonsense. And the reason we buy into it, it goes back to 2 Corinthians 4, 4, the devil has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't even see it. Mm. They don't even realize mm-hmm. how foolish that it is. Yeah, so let's get let's get let's talk about these six arenas and there are more than six arenas, but just so that people can understand. Again, I you know this especially for parents. I encourage parents to sit down with your kids, teenagers, uh, junior hires, grade schoolers, and and listen to this podcast and really have these conversations because I think it's important for us to go in with our eyes wide open so that we can be aware of the schemes of the enemy and know exactly what Satan is going to try to do through the world. Again, it's not going to look like Satan. It's not, you're, you're not going to, it's, you know, young people, we're not talking about, hey, stay away from people on TikTok who have horns and capes. It's not about that. It's not going to look like Satan. But the, but the God of this world, Satan is the God of this world, and he's, beyond, he's behind these bad ideas in all these different arenas. So l- these six arenas we're going we're gonna to explore. If we had more time, we would do more. But we're going to talk about social media. We're going to talk about commercialism. We're going to talk about news and politics. We're going to talk about false religions, because that's part of the world system. We're going to talk about progressivism, especially how it creeps into the church. And then we're going to talk about relativism and how that creeps into our schools. Okay, so let's start, John, with social media. I'm just going to throw a bad idea out there. Let's talk about it. And maybe we'll even kick around some other bad ideas in these areas as well. So in social media, here's a bad idea. Young people, listen to this. Social media is is getting you to buy into this kind of nonsense, that your value is directly proportional to your number of likes 
or followers? Yeah, my heart breaks. I, if you've listened to many of the podcasts, I've got four children. I've got two that are teenagers right now and one that will be a teenager here in a couple of years. Kids have no idea how valuable they are because of who made them. Because Christ said that you are fearfully and wonderfully mm-hmm. made. Or God the Father said you are fearfully and wonderfully made. I know the plans I have for you, and yet so many of our young people tie their value, tie their identity into what the kid in chemistry class thinks about them, mm-hmm. or into, yeah, how many likes they got, or how many followers they have on Instagram. The devil has just su- done such a great job in distorting who we are, like our very identity mm-hmm. in Christ. Yeah, even just filters. I think they call them beauty filters. I don't know. We're old, John, so we don't really fully have all the <laughs> language for this. But there's uh, my understanding is there's beauty filters now that it's even distorting. Like you don't even really like how you look in the mirror. You only like how you look once the beauty filter kind of fixes you up a little bit. So, right? I, yeah, I'm going to share a personal story, and hopefully my wife doesn't listen to this podcast or she might be a little upset. But my <laughs> daughter plays on a competitive club volleyball team, and we got their team pictures back. And they'd been photoshopped, and I was, I was lit. I was mad. Mm-hmm. I told my wife, I said, either you go talk to the coaches, or I will, because I'm not going to do another team picture where my daughter's photo is. It didn't look like my daughter. Mm-hmm. I I love the way my daughter looks, just as she is. I don't want anybody photoshopping that. Mm-hmm. But that's the culture we're in. Mm-hmm. And really, that's 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 a good example, John. Is that's how the father feels. When he looks at his, his children, his creation, he's, they're so precious to him. And he's, he sees what the world is doing. He sees the lies that we're buying into. And he says, no, 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 I made you how I wanted to make you. I made you just how you are. And it's sad to me that, that the enemy, Satan, is using sh- social media. Now, social media is not all bad. You know, certainly there's some redeeming things on social media. We can use it for God's word, for sure. We, we can use social media to, to establish some positive godly footholds. But generally speaking, social media is eroding away um, our sense of self, our sense of worth. And, uh, and Satan loves it. This is, this is how he's using the world against us. So don't be captured. Don't be captured with those empty philosophies and that high-sounding nonsense that comes from social media. Okay, so there's just one example. Again, you know, I'd encourage you, parents, if, you, if you're listening to this with your kids, hit pause, and why don't you have a conversation about some of the other lies that your kids are buying into because of social media, because we're just barely skimming the surface here. But let's move on to the second arena where the enemy loves to utilize the world, and we're just calling it commercialism. Right, so here's the idea in commercialism, and again, commercialism isn't all bad. You know, I mean, the capitalistic system isn't all bad. Well, I thank God for many things that we can that that we can be creative and we can sell things, and we can make a living. But look, it goes a little too far when when you when you get this message that you can only be happy if you buy this product that is that you're looking at right now on TV. And we get this right. We get like kind of the stuff mart mentality. Like I need that, and if I don't have that. I won't be happy. If I don't have a bigger house, I won't be happy. If I don't have a bigger car, I can't be happy. And yet God's Word has something different to say about it. Yeah, I mean, God's Word talks all about this idea of, of storing up treasures in heaven. And I think we're going to get to that verse in a little bit on, on one of our other points. But, you know, it, it's interesting to me. God is not anti-wealth. God is anti-temporal wealth. 
God, God wants you to have wealth that's permanent, that's eternal. And we get so hung up on what we don't have. You know, I think of the Philippians verse where Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I think often we, we misapply that verse. What Paul was really talking about there was contentment. He just got finished saying that I've learned how to be content whether I have a little to eat or whether I have a lot to mm-hmm. eat, whether I didn't get any sleep or whether I slept. Mm-hmm. And, and he says, I can do that through Christ, right? Like Christ has given me an eternal perspective, and so I can be content. It, it is crazy to me how much money we spend on stuff that we we don't need. And then it affects other areas of our life. Then we have stress in our marriage mm-hmm. because the budget's tight. Mm-hmm. Or we feel guilty because maybe we don't give to the kingdom of God because you know, we don't do it first like God's word would encourage us to do. Right. And we don't have anything left over at the end of the month. Yeah. First John 2.16 says, For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. And it says, these are not from the Father, but are from this world. So there it is right there. There's the battle with the world in, in terms of commercialism. Is, you know, it's, this is a, two, a verse that's 2,000 years old. And, and so if it was true 2,000 years ago, how much truer would it, is it now? I just think, I'm sure that John would look at our culture today and say, unbelievable what you guys have, what the average person has. Unbelievable. Well, yeah, I think that's just another testament to the relevancy of the Bible, uh, the, you know, when this was written, how much how much outward pressure was there on on the average first century Christian to have certain things or travel certain places? Nothing like we have mm-hmm. today. Right. But God knew we would have that, right? Mm-hmm. God, in His foreknowledge, knew we would battle this, and He gave us His Word to help us through it. Yeah, that's good. All right, so that's commercialism. How about this next arena? We're just going to call this news and politics. So we could talk about this one all day, John. But let me, let me just throw out one bad idea that's especially relevant today. Here's the bad idea. Unborn, child, unborn children do not have a right to life. And you know what's crazy to me is this idea has, has crept even into the church. We were just talking in staff meeting recently, John, about even some people who go to our own church who seem to have bought into this bad idea from the world that somehow, somehow women's rights... Are, have you know raised to this level where they're equal to or higher than the right of an unborn child but God's word so clearly says that that child inside of you is fearfully and wonderfully made that child inside of that woman that mom is not just a fetus that child is a human life that's what God's word has to say but our our culture doesn't say that and it's interesting that that you know a couple decades ago most Christians Almost every Christian, most of the country would have completely agreed with that, but how quickly it seems to have changed, I think. I'm, not, I'm still not positive if, how much of the news I can believe, but even, even you listen to conservative news sto- sources, and it seems like they've moved the line, too. Well, I read an article, it was a survey that Barna had just done. You know, they do so many surveys about the life of the church, and it was interesting that uh, people in their 20s ranked... Um, not being good stewards of of the earth, so pollution, litter, not recycling, they ranked that higher in terms of an affront to God than abortion. Wow! Now that and that was a survey of people who called themselves Christians, wow. and it just broke my heart. Now I'm not saying we shouldn't be a good steward of the earth. We should. God right. called us to have dominion and rule it well. Right. But but we have millions 
of unborn babies who are murdered and we're more worried about our carbon footprint. Mm. It just breaks my heart. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I have a daughter who has Down syndrome, and I remember about two years ago, the nation of Iceland released a, a, a celebratory article. They virtually eliminated Down syndrome in Iceland because every woman who knows they're going to have a baby with Down syndrome aborts the baby. Mm. So they've eliminated it from their country. And I've, I've made the joke with friends that if I thought I could keep a Christ-like attitude, I would take my daughter on vacation to Iceland just so they could see what they're missing. <laughs> wow. I'm wow. not sure I could do it with the right attitude. So. <laughs> I, I will help fund that trip, John, <laughs> and I would love to send a camera crew along with you as well. Yeah, there's so, you know, that's just one example. Again, I, I just would encourage you, if you're listening, some, some of you might be listening to this, and you might even be offended by what we're saying. I just, please, please pay attention to this. I, I'm going to read, let me read this verse once again. Don't let anyone capture you with empty philosophies and high-sounding nonsense that comes from human thinking and from the spiritual powers of this world rather than from Christ. Look, the idea that, that somehow this is, a, this is a battle between women's rights and an and unborn baby's right, is, that's, a, that's nonsense. That's nonsense. We're not against women's rights, but this is a child this is a this is a child. We, we our society doesn't let. Thank God, this our society doesn't let parents just murder their children if they if they want to. Of course we don't. Of course that's not that would be nonsense. And yet this is what as if you're a Christian, if you're a Bible believing Christian, you need to let Christ's thinking supersede the world's thinking, and it's getting harder and harder and harder because the world is just bombarding us. It really is, I think, and it seems like in this particular area, John, it's almost become a stronghold. Like this area, has be, it's, it was a foothold maybe 50 years ago, and now I think it's become a stronghold, and we Christians need to stand up and take a stand for Jesus. Yeah, I, I think you nailed that. I think that's exactly what has happened, because if we go back to our definition of a stronghold, it talks about a place that's been fortified, mm -hmm. and, and that's definitely what has happened with some of these arguments that we're talking about, whether it's the abortion issue or even now kind of the issue of our time is, you know, the transgender issue, um, homosexuality, these, these issues that they're not a foothold any longer, mm -hmm. I would say. I would say that the enemy has gained the ground they want to gain, mm -hmm. and now they're reinforcing it. Now they're fortifying it. And now I believe part of what God is calling the church to do is to demolish that stronghold. Yeah. I mean, John, talk for a second about that, because I, I think in this area, I know a lot of Christians who are like, oh, but I would just, I'm going to look like I hate people if I speak out against LGBTQ. How would you as a pastor, someone who I, I, I appreciate the way you are able to articulate this, I mean, even just in your own church, you have people in that community who still attend your church because I think you've been able to speak truth to them, but you've done it with love. And so I, let's make sure to communicate to people what we're saying. We are saying God's word clearly, clearly says that there is male and female. That's it. So all this other stuff, this is where we need to take a stand with God's word. God's word clearly says if your know, parents, if you've got kids, it's important for you to find that, find that courage to speak to them against, really against the whole idea, the message that the world has around the transgender thing. What wisdom do you have, John, for listeners? Well, the first thing I'd remind our listeners is, you know, we're all broken. We're all broken, every single one of us. And if I feel like 
I should have been created one way, even though God created me another way, then what I'm really saying is that I know better than the all-knowing, almighty God who gave me life. That's such a, that's such an arrogant, prideful position to take. And I, like I say that with compassion. Mm-hmm. I, I say that, that I recognize if, if I were struggling with something that much at the very core of my identity, that would be, that would be brutal. So my heart goes out to someone who's struggling with their gender identity. But mm-hmm. I would just say that, that you're, you're broken, just like I am. I'm mm-hmm. just broken in a different way, mm-hmm. right? You know, I'm not, I'm not looking down on judgment in you. Uh, but to think that you know better than the, than the God who created you, and as we talked about earlier in Psalm 139, the God who says you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Mm-hmm. My works are wonderful. I know that full well. That's what God says, right? So uh, I, I would just say that you can, you can trust that God knows what is best for you. And, and I just encourage parents to, to listen to their kids. Uh, I mean, kids are just confused, right? right. That's I right. mean, my, my daughter, who's 11, doesn't even know what her favorite cereal is for today, right. <laughs> much less her gender. I mean, so, so I would just say we be patient with them. We love them, but we point them back to God's truth. Right. And I would also say to parents, look, don't, don't turn this into an us and them issue. I think it's really important, you know, with our own kids that we were really careful, um, not to make fun of, people from the LGBTQ, and I think a lot of Christians have in the past, and I feel like that's unloving. I think that's crossing a line. And I think what, that, what that'll do to your kids, parents, Christian parents, what that's going to do your kids is they're going to look at their friends who are very accepting of other people who have different points of view, and then they're going to look at you and they're going to say, well, you're mean. You're mean-spirited. And they're gonna they're gonna kind of buy this lie that it that said but but you've helped feed the lie really by by being mean spirited toward people in another community you've I think you've fed into that lie but they're gonna buy the lie that says that's not very Christ like which it's actually truthful that's not very Christ like but then they're gonna go that foothold that the enemy gets now in their mind is gonna get them to go over and join the non Christ like people. And I see that with so many families where mom and dad are so black and white. And I do think you need to be black and white, but you can be black and white with love or you can be black and white in a snarky, unchristlike way. And so I think parents have to really f- find a way to speak up for God's truth, but do it, in a, do it in a way that's loving. Yeah. How do we be black and white and remember that someone who's on the other side of that issue is still created in the image of Almighty God, mm-hmm. and therefore they deserve dignity, respect, right. care, right? Yeah. And, that, and that would be my argument for, again, for the unborn child. That unborn child is not, it's not just a living human being. It's a human being that was created in the image of God, and so they have immeasurable worth and value. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we could talk forever about news and politics. Again, parents, if you're listening to this with your kids, hit pause, have a conversation about this, like learn to speak the truth, learn to encourage your kids to own what God's word has to say and have open eyes to the, to the lies and the half-truths and the footholds that the world is going to be thrown at them all the time. But let's move on to the fourth one, and this is false religions. And I, I would put this under the course of this world, right? False religions are part of, are part of this world, the system that is opposed to God False religions are part of that. And so we're talking about, yeah, like major world religions that don't teach biblical truth, right? 
Well, the devil can't create anything, so the devil distorts. So it, it only makes sense that there would be false false ways to God. There's only one way to God, right? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But the devil can't create other ways, so he distorts that. And the most common distortion, the thing you see from just about every major world religion except Christianity, is if you do enough good things, or if your good things at least outnumber your bad things, then you you get to go to heaven, or you you get enlightenment, or whatever whatever their next level is, yeah, right? right? Whereas the Bible says, no, the reality is that you can't. You can't do enough good things, because one bad thing makes you fall short of God's glorious standard. But God loved you enough that he sent his son in your place, and he was perfect. He did everything you couldn't do. Uh, so definitely the, world, the world's ideas. And even as I say that, I recognize there are people that find that offensive. Mm-hmm. There are people that would say, I can't believe you would be so narrow-minded that you would say there is only one way, mm-hmm. right? But yet, that's what, that's what Jesus said. And, and so again, that's part, of the, that's part of the enemy's strategy is to get Christians to look narrow-minded, to get Christians to look old-fashioned. And, and so then, you know, most people, the world would say, look, basically the religion of the world is universalism right now. It's like, look, all roads, whatever, whatever works for you. It's kind of like, we're going to talk about relativism a little bit. It's just, everyone just do what you want. Everyone just follow whatever path you want. Well, that, that just doesn't even logically make sense because the, the Buddhist path says something very different than the Christian path, than the Muslim path, um, than even the Mormon path or the Jehovah's Witness path. So I think it's important to understand, young people, it's important to understand, know what the Bible has to say. That's the best defense against false religions, isn't just to study other false religions, I'm not against that, but it's to study what God's Word has to say and trust God's Word and take that as truth, and then now you can look at other false religions and you can, and you can identify what's, what's false about them, what's wrong about them. All right, the next one is a little bit related to false religion. We're calling it progressivism, and, and in particular, we're talking about it as far as it relates to the Christian church. This is kind of like false religion that's crept into the Christian church. Some people call this woke churches, and, and here's, here's one of the bad ideas, is that the Bible is old-fashioned, and it talks too much about sin. So, John, we're talking, there's a lot of different applications of progressivism that have snuck into the church, but maybe there might be someone listening to this podcast right now who isn't even aware of this concept, and so pay attention to this, because you might be going to a church that's progressive, and again, that might sound like a good thing, but no, no, we're talking about they're, they're saying we need to move on from biblical standards, traditional biblical standards, we need to move on because the Bible is kind of out of date. So f- some examples of that might be, um, you know, a, a lot, gay marriage in the church, you know, allowing the church to look more like the world, what's acceptable in the world. You know, I, I think of the fact that the reason the good news is such good news is because there's bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that we all are sinners, we're all broken, we all fall short of the glory of God. We're all enemies of God, the Bible says. And so I, I don't think a church—I I mean, I guess I understand the, the, the mindset of, you know, you talk too much about sin, but, but if I don't talk about sin, if I don't talk about the reality that, that my relationship with the perfect, holy, righteous God who created me has been broken because of sin— 
then the good news isn't that amazing, mm-hmm. right? But when I recognize how God rescued me, what he did for me personally, it, it just makes... Uh, it just makes the good news, uh, it, well, that amazing grace that we talk about, that we sing about in so many of our churches. The Bible is not old-fashioned. You know, the Bible is useful. The Bible corrects us. The Bible teaches us. The Bible is so relevant for for us today. You know, we were just talking earlier again in one of our staff meetings about, you know, the issues that first-century Christians faced or didn't face uh, we face materialism way more than they did in the first century, and yet Jesus talked a ton about it. So he talked about it for our benefit, knowing that we would face that kind of pressure. Yes, yeah, so then when progressivism creeps into the church, again, I think Christians, you have to be paying attention to something that sounds a little bit more like the world than the Bible. Um, so again, a lot of mainline churches now are just, they're just progressive churches. They care more about, they might call it social justice, for example, but it's not, I mean, God, God cares about justice, for sure. But so many, so many of these conversations have moved into this place where it's not, it's not approaching it from a biblical point of view, it's just allowing the world's mindset. Remember, Satan is the god of this world, that world's mindset to creep into the church. And so pay attention, pay attention to progressivism that might have snuck into your own church because it's spiritual warfare. That's exactly what it is. Yeah, and I would even encourage listeners today, if, if you're attending a church and they never talk about hell, mm. they never talk about sin, they never talk about God's righteousness, you know, maybe the average sermon at your church is, you know, one verse and then 29 minutes of discourse about social issues, to mm-hmm. your point, Brian— I, I would really pray and ask God if that's if that's a Bible believing, Bible teaching church that you're yeah, in. Yeah, that's good. All right, one more one more area where the world tries to get a foothold in our minds, and it's we're, we're calling it relativism. And here's the bad idea of relativism: everyone gets to do what's what's right in their own eyes. And this actually isn't new. It might sound new. But this has been around in humanity for a long, long time. In fact, back in the Old Testament, in the Judges period, this is exactly what would happen time and time again in the Judges period, kind of the pre-Davidic period in Israel's history in the Old Testament, uh, when God was the king and, and he, uh, he had judges, and we don't mean judges like in the way we think of them today, we're talking about like leaders of the country, but not kings. And it said that what would happen in the cycle back in those days, that at some point the society would get to this point where everyone would just do whatever they want. And whenever that happened, you better believe that that society was about ready to get destroyed. That's one of my biggest pet peeves, just from a logical standpoint, not even from a biblical perspective. By definition, there can only be one truth. Now, maybe I'm wrong, right? Maybe I'm wrong about what truth is. But for you to say you have your truth and it's okay if I have my truth, that's not truth, right? There, there's just no such thing as relative truth. We don't get to do what's right in our own eyes. In fact, we wouldn't even know what right or wrong is without God. Right. If God didn't give us a moral conscience, we wouldn't even have the concept of right and wrong. Well, and it feels to me like it's almost gone. You, can't, you might not even be able to call it relativism, relativism anymore because I think the world doesn't let Christians believe what they want to believe. The world, the world says everyone can believe what they want to believe except for Christians. Don't, tell, don't put your values on me. I'm going to put my values on you, but you can't put your values on me. 
you can't tell me what to believe, but we're going to tell you what to believe. And again, I, I would just say, Christians, speak up. Speak up. You don't, have to, you don't have to be a jerk with somebody to disagree with them. You can disagree with them politely and say, I believe something else. Here's what I believe. Here's why I believe it. And again, make them look like the, um, like the intolerant person that they are. Because really, anymore today, I, I think 50 years ago, the Christians were the intolerant ones. Today now, the liberals and non-Christians are the intolerant ones. Because if we don't believe their secular ideology, it's, they call it hate speech. It's not just our perspective, it's hate speech. Right, yeah, it is interesting to me that the, the groups who promote tolerance typically are the most intolerant out there. And mm. I, I've always felt like even 20 years ago, I never, I never thought tolerance was really the objective. I don't think that's the world's objective. Mm-hmm. Uh, because tolerance, the, the, you know, the root of that word is tolerate. To tolerate means I, I put up with something that I don't agree with. I tolerate it. They've always been wanting approval. Mm. And I think we see that now. It's no, it's no longer about tolerance. It's not, you know, hey, John, you need to tolerate this behavior or, or activity. It's you need to approve of it. You need to celebrate it. We have entire months on the calendar now right. where we celebrate these behaviors that 40, 50, 60 years ago we, we didn't even tolerate. Right. And, I think, and then that goes back to the Bible says the world has a course. It has a direction, and that direction is away from God. And when God's not on the move and when his people aren't on the move, mm. when his people aren't on the offensive, then that's what happens. Mm. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterers. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? And then it it says right here, it says, I'll say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So Christians, pay attention to how the world is going to try to get a foothold in your mind with its ideas, with its ideology in all these areas. Again, there are many more areas, but let's move on just to kind of the solution here, John, as we kind of wrap up today's episode. And we've already kind of hinted toward this. We win the war with the world by exercising spiritual discernment in our everyday lives. That's the word. That's the key word we want people to take away is discernment. In other words, open your eyes. I, my hope is, John, that some people are listening to this. Maybe maybe it's parents. Maybe it's just their kids listening to this saying, I never, I've never really thought about it like this. I didn't think about my, my involvement with the world, with social media, with news, with uh, watching commercials, with, you know, whatever. I didn't really think of that as spiritual warfare. I just thought that was neutral. It's not neutral. The world is actively working against you every day to get you to buy into these ideas. And so you need to have some discernment. That's what Paul talks about in Romans 12 too. He says, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern, there's the word, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God what is good and acceptable and perfect. It's interesting. He's saying, test what's being thrown at you in the world. Test it. Everything that you're seeing on your phones, on TV, what in the radio, whatever, everything that you're at school, in college, in, in grade school, in junior high and high school, everything that you see anywhere, test it and use discernment so that you can know what, what God thinks about it. Yeah, we mentioned in last week's podcast that spiritual warfare is primarily engaged in the mind, and here we see that again. Like, in our minds, we have to 
to take these ideas, these these images, these thoughts that, that the world is putting in there, and we have we have to test them. We have to use discernment. Is this in line with biblical principles? Is this in line with what God would say, what God would want me to do, or is this something that's going to pull me away from Him? And it look, it's not always easy, right? There are some things that the first time you hear them seem right. It, it, it makes mm-hmm. sense that I should be accepting of everyone, that right. I should love everyone. Right. But what does that mean? If, if I have a family member who has cancer and I don't point out the fact that they have cancer, that is the most unloving thing I can do. Mm-hmm. So if I have someone that I know has an area in their life that is just contrary to God's, you know, God's wor- will for them, and, and I don't have the courage to gently, yeah. humbly say, hey, d- do you know about this thing in your life? That's not very loving at all. Right. Yeah, again, you don't, it's not loving to agree with someone who's in the wrong. Right. It's just not loving. But the world is going to say, you're not loving. If you don't, like you said, if you don't accept me, if you don't condone my lifestyle, you're not loving. It's not about tolerating something you disagree with. Like you said, it's about, no, making you see it my way. And yet we need to be willing to see it God's way and to test everything. And in fact, 1 Thessalonians 5 verses 21 and 22, it says, test everything that is said, hold on to what is good, stay away from every kind of evil. What a great reminder. And you know, that verse was, the context for that is actually prophecies in the church, but how much more, you know, if if Paul is saying to the church in Thessalonica, he's saying, hey, if you hear something in the church, test it. And that's true, right? Because progressivism can sneak into our churches. The world can sneak into our churches. But how much truer should that be? How much more on our, gu- on our guard should we be when we're watching TV or just on our phones and when we're not in church? We have to test everything that is said. Hold on to what is good. Stay away from every kind of evil. And again, you can't do that without these, these three things. Just real quick, you need God's spirit. That means you need to have a, an active prayer life where you're going to God in prayer on these things. You're asking for discernment from God's Holy Spirit in prayer. Number two, God's word. Because if, you don't, if, you don't, if you're not in God's word as much as you're in the world, then the world's ideas will dominate in your life. And then finally, God's people. Because sometimes you just need to bounce it off of God's people. Like, what it, what do you think about this? How do how should how should we think about this? Which is why we do these podcasts like this is so people can hear God's what God's people have to say about things like spiritual warfare with the world. Yeah, and that's why and you've already done this two or three times in this podcast we're inter- encouraging people to to even take what we're saying here and talk about it. Talk about it with your kids, talk about it with someone in your small group, if you're engaged in a small group at your church, talk about it with a mentor. If you have a mentor in your life, have those conversations. So again, you're applying God's spirit, God's word, and God's people to this discernment that we're asking you to to use. And you can do that at our website, pursuegod.org forward slash warfare. That's where you'll find all five lessons for this series. Again, this is lesson two, where we talked about spiritual warfare with the world. Make sure to use the discussion questions that you find right there to have a conversation with your family, with your small group, or one-on-one in a mentoring relationship. And then make sure to join us next week. In lesson three, we're going to talk about what it means to be at war with our flesh. You know, the world was out there, but spiritual warfare hits even closer to the home. And we're going to talk about that next week. So join us. Mm -hmm.